0: Alcoholic. It's a privilege to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the first thing I was wondering is, what's the chances of reversing us? <laughs> you know, I feel like I should be able to look at the link. <laughs> it is a privilege to be here. And um, I'd like to thank David and Harold for inviting me and allowing me to participate in your second anniversary. I think that's awesome. A lot of groups don't make it to year two. That's That's pretty neat. Um, we know that a lot of times meetings won't make it on if we're not practicing traditions and principles, and it says a lot about your group to to be able to make it to year two. It really does. And um, this is great. The scenery is awesome, and um, it was a lot better than I had pictured for whatever reason. It's just this has been wonderful, and I really appreciate the opportunity to to be here with you. And um what I'm supposed to do is tell you in a general way what I was like, what happened and what I'm like today and I'll do that to the best of my ability. I um you know, growing up I had a as normal as possible childhood. There was no alcohol in my family, although there was alcoholism. My um my grandfather was an alcoholic and my mother brought all kinds of neat tricks to the table uh growing up in an alcoholic home and um, I had just about everything I ever wanted and definitely everything I ever needed and was just raised, um, in church and with good morals and values and, um, looked, looked pretty, pretty perfect, you know. I, um, the only things that seem to be significant enough to, to t- talk about even is, um, the first, first one is that I was adopted. And uh this was something that I carried with me a long way, well into Alcoholics Anonymous. And I just could not understand, you know, why mothers give up their little girls. And I just knew that there was something uh wrong with me for for that to happen. And my parents, so I certainly choose to call my mother and my father the ones that adopted me. They would read me, especially my mom, she would read me the adoption book and the special chosen child book and all that stuff. And all I knew was I'd certainly didn't feel special or chosen and I just didn't believe any of that stuff you know and I just didn't I just didn't get it I knew that that, that you know wasn't normal and like I said I carry that long and now alcoholics anonymous and it was actually the first way my parents got me into some type of therapy was they had suggested that as soon as a psychiatrist or a psychologist had suggested that I was emotionally and mentally capable of handling such information then they would you know possibly help uh, enable me to to possibly locate and find my natural parents. And needless to say, no one ever said I was emotionally and mentally capable of handling anything, you know, much less something like that. So that never happened. But it was uh a way my parents manipulated me into some type of treatment and therapy and because you see they didn't know what was wrong with me either. From the very beginning, you know, they didn't know what was wrong with me. Just there was it was apparent that there was there was a problem. And um I can remember one day I had woke up in Alcoholics Anonymous and I really, really tried to figure out what it was I had done because I wanted to replicate that action and there was nothing that I could pinpoint that I did the day before or, or anything to um, wake up to realize that that y'all were my family. And that was, that was pretty cool, you know, from years and years of therapy to um, being okay with, with who I am. and um and the and the people that adopted me and, and loved me, you know, very much. So, um that that was also probably my first experience of maybe maybe realizing that there was truly a God that um that cared about me. Um, I came here agnostic and um meaning that I had no knowledge of God um I was taught certain morals and values and principles, but i just I just didn't know I just didn't know and what a horrible, horrible place to be when um when you just don't know um, another thing, and this is crazy, I know it makes no sense sometimes I feel like I just didn't even say it it's so off the wall, but I had as a kid a a um fear of nuclear destruction and um I live on a 500-perimeter-mile lake, and there's two huge nuclear plants. Uh, McGuire is the one closest to me, and um, I just, you know, if y'all can remember back in the early 70s, we're still in the Cold War with USSR, and I can remember right the second I could see that big mushroom they'd show us on TV, and we're just all going to die gasping for air. and I just did not want to go out like that, and I just thought... I was convinced that's how we were going to die. And I remember the day they put the nuclear plants on, I mean, nuclear plants, nuclear sirens on the road. And they tested those sirens every third month on Mondays at noon. And I thought World War III was every th- three months on Monday at noon. We were just all going to die. And uh, I just had a terrible fear of, um, of death. And, um, that went on and on and on and on. Um, I grew into a whole lot of other fears and paralyzing fears and I didn't know what that was all about um, and the last thing is that I that is significant significant enough to talk about is I was a thief from the gate stole everything had no reason to steal anything um, but I did I just my dad to this day plays poker with the same old men they've been playing for about 40 years maybe 35 years and every Wednesday in my reality which is I've learned often distorted was that if he won, the money was on top of the dresser, and if he lost, the money was in the dresser. And I know, I have no idea where I came up with this theory all by myself, but that's why I decided. And so I started stealing the money. I'm like six, seven, eight, nine years old, and I have no idea what I thought I was going to buy. You know, like ten thousand candy bars, or I don't know. But I just had a lot, I had a stash, and by the time I'm um. 9 and 10 and 11, I'm stealing out of the drugstore, um, chewing gum and candy. and um, I, ha- I don't remember someone teaching me this. I don't remember seeing this. I just remember intuitively knowing that you pay for something and you steal something. I knew not to just go in there and steal it, that you had to buy something. And um, I-, I don't know where this came from. It's just, um, it was there. Uh, by the time I'm 12, I stole my first car. And uh, sometimes I feel like I could just sit down right now, you know, because that kind of just describes how how I was. And I was um, excitement was definitely um, something that I was seeking—a thrill. And um, I also found King Alcohol when I was 12 years old, and I knew uh, I got somehow or another I got my hands on a half a gallon of Everclear. And I don't know why I chose clear I never even heard of clear. I don't know. But that's what I got. And I don't know if I had two drinks or 12, but I know I, the, I felt the effects produced by alcohol enough that I absolutely knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was going to do this again as often as I could, as much as I could, as long as I could, until there was no more to drink, or until my resources were completely gone. And that's what I did until the day I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous. Didn't come up for air for a second. I am... Um, I was a social drinker, I like to say for like six seconds. That was it. It was over. There was no social anything. I drank for complete oblivion every time I drank for complete oblivion and uh I have um you know a lot of people in my life that seem to drink for you know twenty and thirty years with seemingly no consequences you know and that was not in the case for me i I was in trouble from the very beginning with alcohol i uh I could have used this program at fourteen, honestly. Could have used it at fourteen. I uh immediately began to compromise everything. Everything in my life was compromised for alcohol. I um I didn't see it. Uh I didn't I didn't see a lot until after I got sober, a whole lot. Um I don't even remember even think thinking but maybe just a couple of times that 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 I might even have a problem, and uh, you know our our book talks about that too. About half after a while, we can no longer differentiate the true from the false, and that was my experience. So early, so early that I could no longer differentiate the true from the false, and what was reality and what wasn't reality, and um, I was far-fetched from reality our book says and that describes me so perfectly and um I don't know looking back today and every time I tell my story I just sometimes I just cannot believe I don't know how you can be the person that I was and live the way I did and and uh not be aware of the condition I was in I had no idea the condition I was in the day I got sober the day I got here by any means and um I one thing um I was taught when I got first got sober is that you never ever have to be alone again unless you talk too long so <laughs> I have my watch here if, if anyone's concerned um, so we, we won't go over I promise and there's um, a, a guy he says I, I have the watch here but I really don't care <laughs> but I care I, I won't go over <laughs> um, so I'm um, by the time I'm 14 I'm I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Uh, I'm skipping school. My parents are devastated. Um, I'm from a real s- s- small town, Davidson, North Carolina, and uh, everybody knows everybody. And um, I got caught for like everything I did. You know, my parents would get phone calls and say, God, Stacy's 14. She's got a license already. <laughs> How'd she do that?" You know, and uh, I'm thinking, "Okay, well, you, you need to drive after midnight." You know, and Everybody's um asleep, and I was just absolutely insane. <laughs> it's the only word i can I could use just crazy and um the thing the thing that alcohol did for me right away immediately is it numbed any any feelings that I had about anything for anybody, and I think that that's what enabled me to live the way that I lived with um just not caring I don't ever remember ever not going home and thinking I wonder how my parents are feeling right now you know um, I wonder you know what they're thinking I don't ever remember caring about how other people felt about my actions how my actions were affecting other people and it just baffles me that I could be so selfish and so self-centered and live that way, but that's exactly what what alcohol did for me. Um, eventually, what happened was I, um, you know, I said that I had was a social drinker for six seconds, and that's honestly not kind of the truth. And I, I began to get to the point where alcohol, it was just, it was a, a daily part of my life. It was everything. Absolutely everything revolved around around drinking, and. Um, my parents had started i don't even know maybe when i was 13 years old started going to al anon and nar anon and tough love and counseling at the church and anything and everything um trying to figure out what the problem is and they, they just never i don't remember anyone suggesting that I, that i was an alcoholic and they um i think maybe they felt like a lot of it was them and if they could fix whatever was wrong with them then maybe I would get better or something. I'm not, I'm not even sure what what that was all about, but they definitely took some type of responsibility which um, they had absolutely no business doing because it was all me, self-induced 100%. And um, I eventually got to the point where they had said that I was going to get treatment or I was going to leave and, and I left and I was like, treatment for what? I didn't I didn't see it. Didn't see it at all. And the insane thing about that is I had nowhere to go. <laughs> you know, um didn't bother me a bit. I just called some of my friends and, and I would just go from one house to one house to hotel to hotel and um had a lot of times I felt like people were probably jealous of me because I had no curfew and <laughs> I'm homeless, you know, <laughs> but I'm thinking People want to be me, really. Um, And I kept going to school. And I was so proud of myself for going to school. I felt like I was doing something wonderful, great, that I kept going to high school. And um, I eventually had that taken away from me, too, because you can't live um, the way I lived and expect to be able to go to school. And um, I'll just give you a quick uh, visual. There's, There's my car. And, um, I think five state, five county cops and seven state troopers behind it. Now that was a scary day. Um, so I wasn't able to finish school. And, um, never do I remember thinking that my education has just been compromised or, um, anything like, you know, what am I going to do about career opportunities or, or anything like that. I'm just like, I don't know. It was almost a, rel- a relief, you know, that I didn't have to go to school anymore, and any, any, when every avenue of um, financial resource was made illegally. Uh, I couldn't keep a job. I couldn't hold a job. I was really, really angry, 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 angry person, and um, I, 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 can, I can't even. I probably can't imagine this, but I was constantly, constantly fighting. Getting kicked out of bars for fighting. I'm there. I'm like, Ill, I'm like 17, 18 years old, and I'm not even supposed to be drinking in there. I have fake IDs, of course. And um, I was in, uh, kicked out of school so many times for fighting, always for fighting. Um, I, um, you see all this? I'm, there. I'm not putting it together still that there's a problem. You know, not not seeing it. Now, um, when I was like 13, 14, 15, I don't even know how old, you know, I told you I started doing the, the therapy. And uh, that eventually became a um, a requirement to live there, that I'd have to do the family therapy every other week or something like that. We had contracts, and we'd, I'd have to sign the contract. And I just absolutely could not follow keep up with any contract or follow the rules. I just couldn't do it. Um but anyway, so I left and um I had I had no idea what I was getting myself into and I had no idea, you know. I really really had things good <laughs> living with my parents. And um and now I'm just um I like to call myself a free spirit. <laughs> I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, as long as I want, and that's a what characteristic of what an alcoholic, you know, total self will run riot, and um and that's exactly how I live my life. I finally, um, I had what we call a moment of clarity, and um, I re- I remember clearly right the second, I was watching these kids. I don't know why I was just watching these. I don't even know where I was but watching these kids, they're all walking in a little straight line and they're kicking each other and biting and doing what kids do. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, if I could be six years old one more time and I wouldn't turn out like this and I would not be on this road and I'd be a good kid and I'd be a a good sister and I'd go to school and um, I just wouldn't be like this. And then my very next thought would be, You need a drink, you know. I've totally overreacted again. <laughs> you know, I overreact all the time. And um and then I would go drink and I'd be off and running three months before I'd even consider some off, some different lifestyle. Um but I, I did have one and I evidently called my parents in blackout a lot. And I'd call and say, I want to help, you know. And then I call them back and, you know, a month later or whatever, and, um, they want to know where the help, you know, question went to. And I'm like, for what? You know, still not putting it together. Um, I did, I had one another one of these moments of clarity, and I had done what I needed to do to pass. Um, to, I told my parents I have, had been clean and sober for um, for three months, and it's the only I, the only time I'll mention it. I kind of have to at this point. I did do every drug there is under the sun except for like one that I can think of. Um, but this is Alcoholics Anonymous, and I don't talk about that here, um, out of respect out for the traditions. But I have to say it at this point because I had agreed to take um, a drug test and. Um, a breathalyzer, any, at any time, any hour, if they just please let me come home. And, uh, I, I realized today what happened was I ran out of resources and I was tired of running for just a minute and I needed to go rest up for a second and, um, I had the same choices, the, the therapy and the, the you know, And I can't live up to that. I think I I think I lasted. I'm not sure. These are the things I don't even like to. I don't even ask my parents about today. But um, I think I lasted like 40 days or something um, before I was caught. And um, I can remember one time um, going and taking one of these these tests, and they didn't even ask me to. I just figured I'd go take it so I could go get drunk. (laughs) You know, and that made sense to me that I would go and. That they would think, they'd be proud of me for volunteering this test. And, um, can you imagine? The doctor is one of my dad's best friends, and I just show up at the doctor's office. I mean, what embarrassment. <laughs> I was saying, I want to take a drug test. And, uh, just total insanity. So, um, I'm, th- this last time, so I left. The, set, the op- choices are always the same to get help or leave. And I left again, and, um, this time, um, things were uh, considerably different. I um, I just um, I never like talking about this this part of uh of my story because you know that third the there's a promise the ninth step promises about how we don't regret the past, don't wish to shut the door on it, and that's my toughest one, my very, very toughest one, because there's some things I'd do different. You better believe it. There's some things I, w- I would not have done, things I would change if if I could. And, um, and I'm not talking about um, robbing people or robbing places or any of these horrible things like that that I did or um, getting caught with $30,000 of hot firearms i like to sell hot guns stolen guns i thought that would be a good way to make a living um i'm talking about things that just won't go away sometimes you know like um physically hurting my mother you know cuz i'm just coming unglued and i need a drink um things like that are are hard to um to forget about or to to be able to sit here and say that I don't regret everything. I'm trying to run down and kill my father in a car, in total blackout. I don't remember any of it. And then for them to have to tell me st- stuff like this, and you know, that stuff still hurts. Um, and um, I compromised every moral and value I ever had for a drink, and, and to live the lifestyle that that I lived and. And, Harold, I am so much worse than you. I'm such a baby. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, so when I tell you that for me to, to be sober today, that it's a privilege to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, gosh, that's an understatement. You know, I ended up, I'll just say that um get sober, I ended up in an institution in Louisiana, and um, I was there for... Almost my first year of sobriety. And it was good for me. It's what I needed. I needed to be told what to do, when to do it, how long to do it. And it was, um, it was not a DOC facility, a Department of Corrections facility. It was like an alternative. You have a place here in South Carolina like this, but it was like an alternative to, to jail for a lot of people. And, um, the bottom line is is that there was a whole bunch of fruitcakes up in there, and I was one of them you know right there in the middle. We were all so crazy, and we weren't all alcoholics. we had every kind of disorder you can think of, you know we were just all crazy that's what we had in common and um I was there you know my first my first year and uh when i when I left there i um I didn't know what to do or where I was going to go or once again um, where I was going to sleep. And it was the first time in my life ever do I remember not having Plan B. I'd always, always had Plan B. But I went to Alcoholics Anonymous and I went to a meeting and I just did what I'm doing right now. I cried and cried and cried and cried. I told those people I didn't know what I was going to do or where I was going to go. And I want y'all to know I didn't stay one night on the streets. And... Back then, before I got sober, I never knew of the homeless shelters and the soup kitchens, and I had never even heard of places like that, Um, which is a good thing, because that would have carried me a long way, I guarantee it. But um, I didn't have to stay in any of those places. A lady took me in the very first night, and um, her name was Donna, or is Donna, and uh, she taught me... A lot of things, and the first, the first thing is, is she said that this is, um, the, this is the fellowship here at this meeting. This is the fellowship, and, and she showed me the big book, and she said this is the program. There's two different Alcoholics Anonymouses, and you need to know the difference. And that was good for me because um, she told me that the fellowship was only going to carry me so far, and that the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that's outlined in the big book was going to be the thing that saved my life. And uh, that was vital information for for somebody like me. And she also told me that um, we read the big book with a dictionary. And um, that was good for me, too, because I told you I didn't finish high school. There's some really big words in uh, the big book. And Bill was smart. He used ten different words. They all mean the same thing, you know, and I'm thinking, it was a hard place to be because I didn't want to tell you that I didn't know what they meant and da 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 so she made it easy for me and just said we to look up all the words that we have any questions about and and that's um how I studied the book. On Wednesday, the first Wednesday that we went out um that I was out of there, um she took me to jail to a meeting and um you know, I was I was a little hesitant. Um I was thinking here we go again, basically, you know. And I uh, didn't really want to um, go, and um, didn't know what to expect. And she didn't ask me, um, would you, would you be interested in service work or or anything like that. She just said, "Get in the car. <laughs> we're going." And we ended up in jail. And I just thought it's where the meetings were. That's where I didn't know, and uh, people come on a different night, perhaps. I I didn't know, and um, I loved it, loved it, and. It amazed me those those ladies been there forever, and they just seemed to be okay, just okay with where they were and who they were, and it was a pretty pretty awesome experience my first meeting in, in jail, and I um I just kept doing what she said, whatever she'd say, and I tell you it took me about three months before I had my own place to live and a car and a job and I mean things went uphill really, really fast for me and I just had all kinds of good things happen really, really fast and um, I was just neck deep in Alcoholics Anonymous just running everywhere and then my sponsor put me on the, the 12-step call list in in Louisiana. I'm still in Louisiana at this point and um so people would call in and for help and I'd go and try to get somebody sober. <laughs> and um it was it was an awesome, awesome beginning. I uh after like three months I told you I had my own place and, and then after a while I don't know how long after that this guy I met this guy Bubba uh in a meeting and Bubba just got out of the penitentiary. I thought, well, okay, this will be good. Bubba doesn't have a place to live. So I had a bedroom, and I wanted to rent out a bedroom because I was just so poor, y'all. Poor, 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 poor. And I wanted to rent out a bedroom, so I did that. And Bubba worked offshore in Louisiana. A lot of guys, they work offshore, and they'll be gone the whole time. And you get all their money, you know. It's, like, perfect. And I could live by myself like I wanted to, but get half the bills paid, you know. I mean, it was just a perfect set up. So that lasted. We just had the best time and um, strictly platonic deal. And um, I'd drag him on these 12-step calls. And he was new, newly sober as well and um, even more so than me. And uh we'd go on all these 12-step calls in the middle of the night. And um, I'd, I'd like to bring, for some reason, I like old drunk men and like old and the ones that, like, live under the bridge and haven't taken a bath in, like, three months. And that's the kind of drunks I like. And I um, I uh I would get them, and I would put them in my backyard, and I'd steal um, lounge chairs from apartment complexes and put them back there and uh, feed them mustard and cheese sandwiches and lemonade. And they all, every last one of them would eat mustard and cheese sandwiches and lemonade. And, um... I did that so many times, I can't tell you. I never got anybody sober. <laughs> but I tried and tried and tried. And this one guy, well, two, really, I worked with for a long, I mean, like a year, you know, trying to go. I did everything wrong. You know, four if they called drunk 4 o'clock in the morning, I'd go pick them up, bring them back, and put them in the lounge chair. And, um, they would never bathe. I could never get them to bathe. I never understood that. They would just didn't want to. And, um, this one guy, he would go to Texas and come back, and he, he could run and catch a train. what is was going. He's good. And he'd come back with food stamps and jewelry. And I don't know where he got these, but he'd always have all these, like, five necklaces all around his neck. And, um, you know, he had a beard down to here and, um, and food stamps. So, um, he, I never saw him again, but there was this one guy, another guy, and he was sitting outside um, my home group one night and he was drinking out of paper bag he was sitting on the curb and I would talked to him and then the next week he was there and the next week he was there and then I think it was the third week I had I had said um you know he had a buddy with him that time and I said well why don't y'all come in here and drink some coffee and get some cookies because it was cold and um and I made everybody mad because I got these two drunks, you know, in there and I'm like, here's my, my new friends. I want to try to meet my friends, you know, and, um, everybody's pissed off because they're trying to have a meeting, you know, and I got these drunks that are obnoxious and, um, I didn't know that wasn't the way to do it, but, um, I was trying to make them feel at home and, you know, but anyway, I got a book sent to me five years later about, from one of those drunk guys. And he had wrote some things on the inside of that meditation book to let me know he was sober. And that was so cool. And uh, and it, God had that work out just the way it was supposed to because if I was still there, then I would have maybe thought that I actually had something to do with it, you know. <laughs> but it was after I had got moved to Baton Rouge and um he had got sober. And the last I heard, um, he was about four or five years sober and had a job and a car. And I just can't even, I can't even picture him that way. And, you know, I just can't even picture him. But anyway, that's what I did all the time. I just loved it. I was a waitress. I lived by dollar to dollar and um, was just having a great time, a great time. Well, Bubba went offshore, and I met uh, Troy, which is Troy's, Bubba's brother, Long story short, two years later, I had a little girl, and um, she uh, by far has been absolutely the greatest gift that God has ever, ever trusted me with is this child, and um, she's an AA baby for sure, and she went to her first convention when she was 30 days old, and she loves AA. She knows as much about Alcoholics Anonymous, I feel like, as I do, and she's never heard my talk, and I... I won't let her, whenever I go somewhere, I won't let her go with me. If I'm talking, I just, I just, she doesn't know me like that, you know, as that person. And I told her when she's 18, maybe, <laughs> maybe 20. But um, she's, she's, uh, she's awesome. And girls i sponsor will call and she'll say, did you go to a meeting <laughs> today? <laughs> and uh, she likes to give out chips, you know, and. Um, like before or after the meeting, you know, and um, she's just great. I, when I was um about five years sober, I moved back to North Carolina, and what had happened I didn't really realize is that I had I had never really um been a, been too successful at um, distinguishing love and lust <laughs> and that type of thing, and um so that deal with her dad d- didn't work out, and um it was kind of just like alcohol you know unable to differentiate the truth from the false until you're like a year later and you're like what are you doing (laughs) and um unfortunately that was that was the experience and um i was trying to get better and and he wasn't and um things just don't work out like that and so i came back to north carolina And the first thing that was apparent to me is that I was going to have to learn to take care of myself because I just did not have a lot of volunteers. And I, um, I decided I'd get my, we call in in Charlotte, my good enough degree, my GED. And, um, I did that. And my entire family nearly has, all has advanced degrees apart from me. (laughs) They all went to, um, Alabama, University of Alabama, put me, <laughs> and I was, you know, feeling pretty less than for a lot of years, and um, so I did that, and I just I just didn't learn anyth- anything. My guidance counselor, my history teacher, and two or three members of the administrative staff in my high school were my biggest clients for the business that I ran. I didn't learn anything in school, anything, and... Um, but I was able to get that GED and then I went to a community college for a couple of years and I got a degree there and then I got to go to um, UNCC and I got a couple degrees there and that's a long way from homeless (laughs) y'all, you know, Um, and what I found out is that I can do and go absolutely anywhere I want to go, as long as I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, that any and all my, my dreams can come true. And um, it didn't matter how smart I was or how smart I wasn't. And I made A's in, like, statistics. And who knows statistics, right? Can you believe that? I mean, it was just about me being willing to do something about my life, just being willing to to show up and... Um, I never knew that I never really knew that I could and I say I that me and God could could do that type of thing together and um, it was really hard though because I the whole time I was on food stamps and welfare and Medicaid and everything that I was embarrassed about and despised about people I felt like were using the system and and things like that and it was horrible because I'm thinking, you know, I know how to make a dollar. It's not like this. And um trying to remember that we can't live the way we used to live if we're gonna stay if we're gonna keep what God's given us today. You know, can't live, um you can't break the law, that's so what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so, um I don't know how I did it. I swear I don't. Um, my sponsor would just Tell me to put one foot in front of the other and stood up and show up and and keep helping the next person and make your bed. It used to make me mad. Make my bed. Why did I have to make my bed? I didn't understand what that had anything to do with anything. And um, I understand today that when my my house is clean, I, I feel I feel clean. If that makes sense. And um, the the other thing when I moved back here was um, I found a, a jail right away in Mecklenburg County Jail and I started taking me okay. <laughs> um, I started going to a whole lot of um, prisons and just wherever I could be of service and um, it's not for everybody and but it's what I it's what I do well, and today I go to um, Albemarle Correctional, and um, it's a maximum security gun camp, and I just love it. I love that meeting. There's there's five women's prisons in the state of North Carolina, and there's 75 men's prisons. So my opportunity to carry a message to the women in prison is is. A six-hour trip, so I don't, I don't take that commitment. Um, so I, I do the women's jails, but I do the men's prisons, and um, and those guys are just awesome. And I tell you what, you just can't have a lot of problems when you go to a place like that, you know. And you just leave there, and oh my gosh, it's. I just, I'm certain that I can't say I wouldn't be sober, because I don't know that, but I know I wouldn't have the quality of life that I have today. If I if I didn't go to places like that and and these people I mean you know I don't just go to help them I mean they help me you know they help me so much and you know I'll give you an example a couple of years ago I went and to a meeting and one of my guys he's like what is wrong with you you know evidently it was pretty clear that I'd had a bad day and um, that's all I needed because I let him know you know and blah, 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 telling him all these things and. He just said, look at this. He said, I've been in here 29 years, and look how locked up you are and how free I am. And he turned around and walked off, and I was so mad. <laughs> I wanted to cuss him out. I thought, well, he's been here 29 years for something. You know, I'm not going to make this man <laughs> too mad. You know, and um, I just, but what a message, huh? What a message that he's was, he was a free person. And, and I really paid attention to him, and he'd talk about being in two prisons. When he got sober and, um, now he just lives in one. And I thought, well, that's about all, you know, that's all of us, I guess. You know, we, we make our own prison and, and that's, um, self, self imposed, um, restrictions. Um, another guy, Henry, he was in for 25 years and he's out and he's one of my very, very best friends. And who would have ever thought, you know? And he's, he's gotten, in the last year, he's gotten married and his wife's having a baby and he's gotten a promotion at his job and I've been able to watch this man who's got 10,000 felonies become a productive member of society and it just doesn't get better than that. You know, it's, it's a pretty cool feeling and my daughter's had strep throat twice in the last month and Somebody told the guy she was sick. I didn't tell them, but somebody told. And I got there and I had a homemade Get Will card. And, uh, like 75 guys all signed it. And they remember my birthday every year. And, um, my, my regular birthday, my belly button birthday, you know, not just my AA birthday. And, um, there's a huge, huge part of my life. And I, I just don't know, um, well, and I don't need to know why I've been so blessed to be able to accept the, the God's grace in my life. And, um, you know, this, uh, this guy, um, Bubba became Amber. My daughter's name is Amber. Became Uncle Bubba, right? So, um, he's Amber's favorite uncle. And he was in and out of AA, in and out, in and out of prison, in and out. And, um, he, uh, he could never get it together, and I was sponsoring this great grandma, and I not, never understood why this great grandma <laughs> wanted me to sponsor her, you know, and we had nothing, it didn't seem like, I don't know how I was gonna we just lived completely different lives, you know, and, um, but I was taught you never say no, ever, 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 and so, uh, I could pick her up, she didn't drive, you know, I could pick her up, bring her to AA and stuff, and her daughter, her daughter was murdered. And I went to court with her every day. We'd go to court, and I tell you what, you talk about powerless. That was a new experience because, you know, we we like to be able to help people or at least say something. And I had absolutely nothing to say that was going to make the situation any better, you know. Like, it's okay. This too shall pass. You know, no, this is not going to be okay, you know. I mean, I just, it was a new experience. I just didn't know what to do. And, um... What happened about six months later is Uncle Bubba was murdered. And um, every time I think I'm helping somebody, they seem to be helping me, you know, because she taught taught me how to put one foot in front of the other, and you don't drink no matter what, and you just keep going. And, um, and that's what we did, and, and she, Amber didn't understand why she couldn't say goodbye or, of course, she doesn't know what
1: what happened.
0: She just... Her father had told her that he was in a car wreck, and I just left it at that. And, um... But she didn't understand. And, um... We would do a lot of things, like we would... We'd bury notes, you know, and they'd go to heaven that way. And we'd get balloons and tie messages, and, um... We did that for a, a real long time. And, um...
1: The so the two things that I know that
0: I've done right is um I haven't picked up a drink yet since April twenty eighth in nineteen ninety one. And um and I try at any time to help somebody. Now absolutely everything else is questionable.
1: <laughs> but
0: um but I've done those those two things pretty good pretty good I think and um I sponsor a lot of people and, and um I'm absolutely in love with Alcoholics Anonymous. It has not changed my life. It's given me a life. And I just absolutely didn't have one before. I had a um, one of those deals I wasn't even allowed on my parents' property because I broke was breaking and entering. And I had my license taken when I was like 16 and a half. <laughs> they were gone or something. I don't even know. Maybe 17. And I was going to get my license back and I needed my birth certificate. So I decided in my logic that I needed to break in my parents' house to get my birth certificate. And um, I guarantee you my parents would have given me my birth certificate, but this is, you know, the sense I'm making out of this is that I just need to break in. So they were none too pleased with me, and I was not ever allowed on the property. I mean, this is the condition I left to go to Louisiana. You know, I burned them time and time again, over and over again, broken promises, and um. Today, um, my dad calls me every day. Every day, like six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> every day, my mom I talk to her about every other day. I'm I'm good with that. Every other day, I'm a daddy's girl, and um, we have the best relationship. You just wouldn't believe it. We have absolutely the best relationship, and there's uh, there's just such a big part of my daughter's life, and uh, it's just. It's just awesome. It's such a good deal. But I will tell you, it took me five years, five years, long years, to build trust back with my family. And uh we get sober and we think it's, we've done something miraculous and we want to be congratulated and all we're doing is acting like a normal person, you know. And uh, so it took a long time to be able to, for them to trust me. Um I uh, I could I could go on forever and tell you what AA has done for me. Um, my daughter Amber and I were is still just just me and her, and the neat thing is that uh, God God's enabled us to to have everything that that a, a two parent family would have, and um, we're really lucky. I've uh, I've learned to be financially responsible. Um, We own a a house and um, I've got two cars and all of those things that it says that things will materialize if we work for them, you know, and that's happened for me. I have an awesome job. A a couple of weeks ago, I was in a meeting with all these big wigs and these vice presidents, and I'm thinking, (laughs) they have no idea. (laughs) i have them all so full, you know if they only knew and i'm thinking what am i doing here with these people you know and um it's just crazy that that i have just been able to have this life this way it's just um it's, it's a privilege to be a member of alcoholics anonymous it truly is and i uh I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down now, I, cause like I said I could go on forever, but I know y'all are ready to go. And um, thanks again for inviting me. I really appreciate the opportunity to celebrate with you. And God bless. I thought you were going to close this thing out, Harold. Ah, okay. We like to close by remembering the 12th tradition along long form. And finally, we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe the principle of anonymity has an immense spiritual significance. It reminds us that we are to place principles before personalities, that we are to actually practice a genuine humility, this to them that our great blessings may never spoil us, that we shall forever live in thankful contemplation of him who presides over us all. And those who would, help us close with the Lord's prayer.